by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. A while back, Angie's SUV went kaput. You know what kaput means. It died. I mean, the engine locked up and the car was so old it wasn't really worth fixing. <laughs> Don's laughing because he helped me fix it a few times to get it that far. But uh, So we knew we had to get her something else. So we t- went to uh, a used car dealership that we had bought several vehicles from because we felt comfortable there. And we went and we looked around and, and kind of got a sense of what kind of vehicle she wanted and what got good gas mileage, what we could afford and all that. Kind of made up her mind, but they didn't have that one vehicle that, you know, really flipped our trigger. So we, we stayed there a couple hours, but then we left. But we knew what we wanted to look for now anyway, so we didn't count it as a bad trip. And as we was on the way home, we was passing the new car dealership that had the same kind of car. And I said, Angie, they got used cars. Why don't we just pull in there? And so on a whim, just spurred a moment, we pulled into the new car dealership. And we're going down the aisle, and we're looking for the used car section. And the guy in front of us in a car, he slams on his brakes. He jumps out of the car. I thought it was going to be a carjacking or something. I didn't know what was going on. But the smile was so big on his face that I knew it wasn't nothing bad. He's smiling. He's waving us down. We come to a stop. And he's like, roll your window down. And so we rolled our window down. He comes up. He says, well, you guys, how you guys doing? I'm glad you came today. And he just made us feel welcome and warm. And he's like, come on inside. I'll fix you up. Whatever, you, whatever you're looking for, we'll find it. I don't know what possessed me. But I, I said, he had us. So we pulled over, went inside. The guy was just really helpful, seemed to care about what we were looking for, asked us what we, you know, he didn't just tell us what we needed. He asked questions and made conversation. He got us some popcorn, got us some uh, drink or whatever we needed, and, and he looked on the computer to see what he could find, said, hold on, I'll be back in a minute, and you know how they come back and forth, but he would always come right back, you know, and we were thinking, this guy is, is really good, you know, we didn't even mean to be here, and here we are, and, he, and we, we had confidence he was going to help us, and then there was about a stretch of 10 minutes while he was gone, and me and Angie were just cutting up laughing, and, and I said, he gone, he must have left or something. And I kind of like came to my senses. What am I doing in a new car dealership talking to a a car salesman? You ever get that sense like, how did I get here? Come on, Angie, let's sneak out of here. You know, we wanted to sneak out. We didn't want him to see us, make him feel bad. (laughs) Although he'd feel worse when he saw we weren't there. But so we tried to sneak out. We was walking up. Let me tell the story. Okay. So... My version is mostly true. <laughs> she wants to stick to the truth. Okay. All right, so, so we're walking out, and we fully expected him to come, oh, where are you going? You know, because he, he would have flagged us down again. But we didn't see him. So we walked through the place, and we're like, cool. And we got outside, and we got in our car, and we left. Why do I tell you this story? I don't know. But I'm sure it's got a meaning And maybe we'll figure that out later. But right now, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
That's in the New Testament. Ephesians. That's the church at Ephesus. Mama has been there, so she knows it's a real place. It's in Turkey now? Modern-day Greece. See, see, you, you can't just move cities around the map, Mama. Okay, so verse 15. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now that same verse in the King James says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, make the most of your time. Don't live like a fool. Live like somebody who knows the time is important. Live wise, in these, especially in these evil days. And in verse 17 it says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I can't think of anything more important than what the Lord wants us to do. Right now, you know, we've started a new series, uh, 2017 On Purpose. And last week's message was Be Intentional. You remember that? We're going to do things on purpose. We're going to make sure that we get to our desired results. That you get to a de destination by making right choices along the way. We're going to be intentional this year. Today's message is entitled Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. If, and that's on your sheet if you're filling out the blanks there. You know, we're all given a gift. Adam was created an eternal being, meant to be with God always. He was body, soul, and spirit, a three-part being, like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam was given a living soul, a living spirit, so he could be with God, but we know he ate of the forbidden fruit. God had said, if you do that, you'll surely die, and he surely died. But we know he didn't die all the way. He just died spiritually right away. And so he had to be kicked out of the garden. Couldn't come into God's presence anymore. That's the worst kind of death. That's a place called hell, ultimately, when you can't be in God's presence anymore. And so he died spiritually. But God let him live for a thin slice of something we call time. It was God's parting gift, so to speak. Time is that space that's usually notated by a hyphen in between the two dates on our tombstone. Right? You got a beginning, you got some time, and you have an end. And time is God's gift to us. Are you listening to me? See, God lives outside time, space, and dimension. He's not bound by time like we are. That's why he can be the same yesterday, today, and forever, because he's always the same. That's why he's not bound. He knows the end from the beginning. God is not bound by time, but he gave us the gift of time. Now, why did he do it? Well, we'll get to that. How much time do we have left? We don't know. Some people may have an idea, but nobody knows exact. Nobody knows exactly, and you probably don't have an idea at all. And that's why we have to be determined to make the most of the time that we have. You know, we forget 
for periods of time. We just go through sections of life and we're just going through the motions. But we need to stop and say, hey, it ain't going to always be like this. My children ain't always going to be small. They're not always going to be in the house. They're not. We need to take and make the most of the time that God gives us. Now, there's two primary reasons I see that God gave us time. First, so that we wouldn't die in this spiritually dead state that we're born into. That we could repent of our sins and give our heart to Jesus and come alive. That's the most important thing that you do with time. Everybody has that decision. And so you're given a space to repent and do a reset on what Adam did and, and get a new life within you, God's spirit, a new spirit. So now you're alive to God. Now we can come into his presence. We can welcome him, him into our church because we're a bunch of live people with his spirit, his heart. That's the first thing he gave us time for. The second thing is once you give your heart to Jesus, whatever space of time you have beyond that, our primary responsibility is to love others and tell them about Jesus. Say primary responsibility. What does that mean? The most important responsibility. Most of us in here are born again, right? We already know Jesus, so now what is our primary responsibility? To love others and to tell them about Jesus. You may say it like this, the great commandment and the great commission. To love and to tell. Why? Because we don't want them to die in that dead state and be forever separated from God. Now somebody say, well, pastor, I like when you preach on family or prosperity or healing and, and, and those kind of things, something that I can really use. I'm talking about your primary responsibility. You can't use that. I'm talking about why you are still here. What will fulfill you more than anything else is doing your primary responsibility, and it's what will hold your family together. Your people at your job need to hear this. The, your family needs to hear this. This is what I am so blessed I told Angie, I woke up the other day, I'm just like, I'm the most blessed man in the world. To have you as my wife, to have my children healthy, to have them know the Lord, my mama serving the Lord, my brother, his family, just about everybody I know serving the Lord. And I know some of that's not that way with some of you. And man, there's something wrenching at you, isn't it? So that's because we have a responsibility. And he arranged a place for us to uh, grow and work together, and it's called the what? Somebody's wanting to say it. God knows, let me say this before I go on. God knows that you have families. He's all up in your business. He knows what you need. He, he's going to be, everything that matters to you matters to him. He's got your back. He's watching over you. All those things are taken care of. But he, does, he wants you to take care of the one primary responsibility he asks you to do. So today we're not talking about what God can do for me, what I, we can do for the Lord. Ask not what your country can do for you. But he arranged a place for us to get together and to grow and a place from which to launch our major activity in kingdom building, and it's called the church. And since we are the church individually, we're living pieces, we're stones within the church. 
It's not just a Sunday ordeal for us. You need to begin to see yourself as the church. Where you go, the church goes. You're representing the church of the living God, the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador. You're a light. And different churches we know uh, are called to do different things, but they're all called to minister the gospel in some sort of way. We see what we're called to do right there, right? We're, we're really, I believe, grabbing hold of our culture. We're a warm, fun-loving family. Everybody that comes in here just knows that right away. They say, man, y'all got a loving church. I love that. That makes me so happy as a pastor to know that people come here and they're just welcomed, and no matter their condition, how, you know, they're just accepted and loved. And now we get to the eager to reach out part. That's who we are too. We are eager to reach out, not just begrudgingly giving like Tim said. You know, all right, I'll go to the outreach. But no, remember who you are. You are eager to reach out. John Gene gets the idea. I woke him up there, didn't I? John Gene is what I call a row filler. You're a row filler, John. Everywhere John goes, he invites people to church. John understands that inviting people to church is evangelism 101. There's all sorts of evangelism. There's going out and there's talking to people and there's, you know, witnessing and, and touching people at your job. But inviting people to church is evangelism 101. That's a great place to reach people is by inviting them to your church. You, you might have noticed we put some new cards in the back. I want you, everybody to get a couple of them. They, they say, you're invited to the Passion Church and tells our service times on the back. It tells us how to get there. Hand those out and give them a, a warm handshake and a smile. Say, I really want you to come. Not come if you want to, you know. But be a row filler like John. John had the whole back row field at one time with people, back when he had, a, a, had some transportation. I think one of the keys to us filling this church this year is getting John some more transportation. <laughs> Somebody buy the man a van or something. If he had a bus, he could fill this place. And it's not just John, Michelle sitting behind him. I think she came because of John, but then she starts inviting people. We got Daniel. He's gone to youth camp, but Daniel came. Just his children alone filled three rows. <laughs> and then he started inviting cousins and friends, and most of you are a piercy in some form or a fashion in here. That's great. I think about Jordan McCall. I'll never forget what Jordan did for our youth group. When I was teaching in the, in the youth group, I was there four or five years, and, and we had about four or five youth that, their parents went to this church. And so when we started, it was like four or five of them. And I didn't, how, do you, how do you grow when there's no other youth in the church? Well, Jordan McCall showed us. He got a hold of the idea of inviting his school friends. Before it was over, we, had, we was running 12, 15, 16, 17 on an average night. Back there in the youth, most of them was Jordan's friends. Those guys gave their hearts to Jesus. He impacted this church. Some of the people that are here today are parents of those kids that started coming because Jordan reached outside of himself and simply asked people to come to church. To my knowledge, I don't know that he ministered the gospel to any of them personally. He just asked them to come. 
It's not as hard as we think, and I think you'll find that most people want to be invited. We think they don't. You know, the, the devil lies to us in so many ways, and one thing he says, they're going to they're gonna reject you, they're going to they're, they're gonna think bad of you for asking. No, they appreciate people who are genuine about what they say they believe. And most people want, they're probably waiting for an invitation, and most people come to church, it's a fact that they looked it up, they, they researched it. Most people come because somebody invited them. So that tells me there's a lot of people out there that could be filling these empty purple chairs if we would simply invite them. Could we watch a little video I prepared here? Tough day on the back nine for Joe McElvaney. If he does not sink this putt, he will not move on to Sunday tournament play. However, losing today may not be the worst thing for Joe, considering his love of the game is outweighed by his love for going to church with his family on Sunday mornings. He's a true inspiration for all of us here on the tour. Although, if he's knocked out of the tournament today, the real tragedy won't be that another Sunday will go by without Joe McElvaney advancing to the final round on Sunday. No, the real tragedy is that another Sunday will go by without him inviting his best friend in the whole world to church. You know, you'd think, after all these years, that Joe would consider the fact that his buddy Steve may want to go to church to cleanse himself from his selfish, sinful heathenry. But enough about that. Joe's got a 12-footer to sink here. Do you want to go to church with us tomorrow? Yeah. Joe seems a bit distracted today. He really needs to make this putt, or he's gonna have to buy his pagan friend lunch. Miss it! See, they want to be invited. Don't make them have to hint. Don't put it off. I've told you, I think last week, I'm not going to be ashamed to say that we want to fill this place anymore. It's like we we're ashamed to say that we want to grow. It's a shame to say that we need finances to advance the kingdom of God. No, we're going to be intentional about that thing. Why do we care if these seats are empty? Well, we know that row would be filled with youth normally. But there are other empty purple chairs in here, and each one of them represents a soul that could be saved, a life that could be changed. We love what Jesus loves. That's why we care about these empty chairs. We don't like to see people living in misery and suffering. You remember your life before you gave your heart to Jesus? It was probably filled with misery and suffering. You didn't know what you were missing. You just thought that's the way it was. But you came into a church and you begin to hear the promises of God and your life got changed. We are simply undeserving people 
telling other undeserving people about the grace of God. That's why we want these chairs filled. And you know what? When we fill these chairs, we're going to get us a new building. When we fill these chairs and our finances come up to, to a, a, a greater degree, we're going to get a new building with more chairs to fill. Because it's just the next step in our long-term vision as the Passion Church. We're going to reveal our long-term vision here pretty soon. I want you to don't miss a Sunday because I don't know when I'm going to do it. That is who we are. That's what we're becoming. But I realize God showed me that we needed a long-term vision for rocking this world, for turning this world upside down. And God is creating it on the inside of us leaders that he's called to, to make those determinations and, and to tell us what is in your heart. And we're going to rock this world, people. And j just filling these chairs and, and getting our finances coming in and, and, and all these things is just the beginning. I'm not going to spill the beans now, but it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really good because we do have a plan to shake up the world. Little old Passion Church here in Horn Lake, can you imagine if we impacted the world? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. We're going to take it one day at a time, but we are going to have a destination that we're heading towards. We're going to be intentional to get there, and we will arrive if Jesus tarries. <laughs> have you heard about something called the fifth gospel? Some of you right now said, oh, wait a minute, he's going to get into some heresy now. He's going to talk about the gospel of Thomas or something, you know, that's not in the canon of the scriptures, and he's going to, I, I was just getting excited, now I'm never going there again. No, it's a phrase I borrowed from a guy named Bobby Conway, some guy on the internet, I stole it. I love the phrase because he's not talking about some lost writing, he's talking about us, Christians. We are the fifth gospel. You know, some people are never going to look and, and open up the Bible and, and read the Gospels of M Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they're studying your life, man, like you're some kind of gossip magazine. They're looking at you like they're going to tell if you're real or not. Colossians 4, 5 says, live wisely among those who are not believers. There we are, wise again. And make the most of every opportunity. We're only going to have so many opportunities with some people. Make the most of it. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Gracious and attractive. See, somebody, some people preach the gospel like, you're not good as us, but we're going to tell you a secret, and if you act right, we'll let you in. Is that gracious or attractive? <laughs> no. Love really cares about people whether they're saved or not. Love really knows that they have issues, that they're not there all at once. Love is gracious, like God's grace to us when we didn't deserve it. It's attractive. It's, it should be portrayed as something that they want. A lot of Christians act like, I don't want to act like him. I don't want to. If that's what being a Christian is, I don't want none of it. Because the Christians are not being attractive. They're not being humble. They're not being a light. I wrote this. Our conduct 
character and our confession should portray an honest reflection of a truly thankful life rescued and being transformed by a loving Savior. All of those things, our conduct, how we act, our character, who we are, our confession, what we say, should portray an honest reflection. We're not trying to be somebody we're not. We're not we, God didn't say go out and show everybody how perfect you are. Okay, so you, you got saved and you, now you're doing things better than you used to. But that doesn't make you perfect and that doesn't make you better than anyone else. You're perfect in God's eyes. But you're in the process of being perfected through the process of sanctification. So don't act like you have arrived that turns people off. It's not attractive or gracious. <clears throat> We're the people who need to be compelled to say something. The world is like, say something, I'm giving up on you. Anybody ever heard that song? Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's good. Just let them call. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy to come to repentance and give your heart to Jesus. He didn't make it hard. But then it goes on to say, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone says something? <laughs> Say something, I'm giving up. Some of you got friends who are saying, say something, I'm giving up on you. I'm going to go to church somewhere else. I'm going to find somebody else to invite me. Good news is hard to explain without words. We're not called to be the church of charades. Look, just look at my life and you'll want to come with me. Say something. The gospel is spoken in words. Psalms 107 in the King James verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But a lot of the church is saying so. <laughs> that's, that's the church. But the New Living Translation reads it like this. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. That's how you say something. Speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. Don't just say so. Uh, me and Angie was on a date night one time. We went to this bookstore. We're really partiers. And uh, <laughs> she often has coffee. I didn't want to tell on her. But, <laughs> but we go to the bookstore and sit around and read Bibles and stuff. <laughs> it's really shameful what we do on a date. But <clears throat> we're in this bookstore, and I'm walking around and looking, and there's this section that just grates at my innards when I walk by. It's called New Age Spirituality. You, know, you ever seen that section in the bookstore? I just know the kind of things that's in there are ungodly, and I don't know why they put it next to the Bible section. But anyway, there was this young kid in there. He's 20, 22, 23 years old probably, and he's talking to this woman, and as I walk by, I hear a little bit, of, and he's telling her about the black magic and the arts and, you know, spiritual 
demons and all these things, and he's trying to get her to read this book that he's reading. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's over here witnessing for the devil. And it just got me, you know, and I was like, what do I do? I was like, Lord, I'm on a date. I'm not paying attention to that. I'm just going to go back and sit with Angie. And I probably did go sit with Angie, but it just, I just couldn't forget it. I was like, well, Lord, how, what, what would I say, you know? What would I say to him? I don't even know what to say. How do you start a conversation with somebody over there witnessing for the devil? But it, it, the feeling wouldn't leave me, so I just I hovered around the poor guy for about like five minutes, you know, just walking in a circle. <laughs> and then I finally went up. I don't know what exactly I said. It was, what you reading or something? And he said, oh, I'm reading this book here, the, the Black Arts and the Magic or whatever. Well, I don't remember what the book was. He, he said, I said, what's it about? And I don't know, but I just started asking him questions. He said, well, it's about this. And he said, you know, I had a supernatural experience a couple months ago, and he starts telling me about all this happening. And, uh, and believe me, I believe him that he had a supernatural experience, but it wasn't in the right spiritual world he was operating in. He's telling me all this stuff, and so I'm just asking him more. And I realize he's witnessing to me. And so I'm just listening, and, but the Holy Spirit is giving me restraint. And so I ask him more questions. And as I ask him, he starts explaining more things, and he starts talking in circles because they don't possess the truth. He starts hearing his own stuff. And so then, along, but I was friendly to him, you see. I didn't come in with the attitude like, you're going to hell. He was wrong, but I cared about the person. You see, that's what was touching my heart. Him and all the people he's going to affect with that stuff. So I begin, to, I begin to interject questions, other questions. Well, if you say that that's true, then how could it be true that this? And I don't know what all I said and how I witnessed, but I know the Holy Spirit was feeding me with questions. Then, and pretty soon he was listening to me more than I was listening to him. And before the conversation was through, I gave him my little King James Bible out of my back pocket. And we walked outside, and he told me, you know, my mom's been praying for me. I kind of grew up in the church, but I got away from it. He says, thanks for the Bible. I'm going to go pray about this. And I didn't lead him to the Lord, but you could sure see it was coming. It sure rocked his world. Just say something. Just, just be willing to, to say something. Okay, so what if I would went to him and, and the words didn't come and I just asked him and I was nice to him? And he started this stuff, and I couldn't think of anything, and, and I left, and I freaked out and walked off. What did I lose? I tried. I said something. I gave the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit will lead those who are led by love. If your heart is to love somebody, he will give you the things to say. And he did. And, and only he could take a man who was witnessing for the devil and in like 30 minutes turn his world upside down where he's thinking about getting saved. Now, my poor wife, you know, we were on a date for our anniversary, I think it was. But it was. It really was our anniversary. I remember because I was feeling bad about I was gone for so long. But I knew she wouldn't mind because she has a heart for people, and she knew what I was doing. The boy said his mama had been praying for him. That's probably why God put it on my heart. We got to pray for folks. Let's switch gears here for a minute. There's an Oxford Dictionary. I, I usually use Merriam-Webster's or something, dictionary.com, but there's one called the Oxford Dictionary, and every year they put out a new word that's the word of the year. 
Do you know what their word of the year for 2016 was? Huh? No. Their word of the year was, it must be a compound word, because it's two words, post-truth. Post-truth, meaning after truth. The, the, the definition says, you know, basically, uh, we're way past the truth. We don't listen to that anymore. You know, we're okay with fake news. And, and that's what we're, we're getting in a culture where we're okay with just hearing anything. It doesn't have to be the truth. It has to be what we want to hear. Post-truth. It sounds like a place to me. Sounds like hell to me. Because there's nothing past truth. Arby's has the meats. We have the truth. We are possessors of the truth. Three people got up and left and went to lunch at Arby's. Arby's, is that where we're meeting after? We always go there on, before we go to the nursing home, if anybody wants to go to the nursing home. But uh, we have the words of eternal life. Peter says, where else shall we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is gone. Now he's given us the words of eternal life. We have to speak the truth in love. And why are we not sharing it like time's running out? Remember time? We don't know how much we got. Why are we not sharing it? Are we afraid of being rejected? Oh, you poor little tender soul. What if you got rejected? Oh, my goodness. Do we not know what to say? You got a Bible sitting there in your lap. Huh? Why wouldn't you know what to say? Shame on you if you don't know what to say. There's, we put cliff notes back in the back, the plan of salvation. We've got what we believe back there with the scriptures on them to, to help you. You've got a whole 66 books of the Bible. You've got the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And you've got a testimony. I know that. If you don't know how, if you don't know how to share scripture with them, I know you can share what Jesus has done for you. You have the words of eternal life. Well, I don't want to seem like a hypocrite. What does that even mean? We're all just hypocrites in recovery anyway. Just because you're not doing everything right don't mean you can't tell somebody. If that was the case, nobody could say anything about anything. None of us is perfect and have arrived. We have to, we have to start where we're at with what we got. You are in recovery from being a hypocrite, right? <laughs> they call us religious bigots, though, Pastor. Well, they called Jesus all sorts of things. They called his disciples all sorts of things. That's just a defense mechanism that they're putting up because your truth is hitting home. But deep down inside, their, spirits are, their dead spirits are crying out, Yeah, give me some of that light you have. Kickstart me. Show me this Savior that you have. Maybe we just don't care about the lost as much as we should. I don't know. But shame on us. If that's the way we feel, you can change that. 
if, if, if that's the way you feel, then you, you don't know the love of Jesus as much as you should. So that's a grand opportunity for you to delve into his love so he can give you his love and change that situation. You're in misery yourself if you don't have a heart for the lost because that comes with, from the love that you have in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he certainly cared. In Romans 9, 2, he said, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Because the Jews wouldn't receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. They rejected their Messiah. So he says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. He had a burning passion for the lost. He said, I would be willing to be cursed forever and cut off from Christ. If that would save them. Now you tell me about a heart somebody has for the lost. Would you be willing to go to hell, give up your salvation that they may be saved? That is a heart, my friend, for the lost. And he says, I, before that he says, I lie not. I tell the truth this is how he feels. Jesus certainly cared. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also having once suffered for sins. He suffered, and it wasn't for his own sin. Let me tell you that. It was your sin, my sin. He suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Hallelujah, he didn't stay in the grave. God raised him up on the third day so that we could be raised up with him. Hebrews 2.9 says, though he tasted death for each one of us. That bile in his mouth. He suffered our sins on that cross. It was all heaped on him. He knows what you've done. He's felt it. He's suffered God's wrath for it. And he has tasted death for you. Oh, Jesus cares. And I don't think he understands any excuses we might have about being quiet with the gospel. How could he possibly... Okay, well, I'm just, it didn't matter anyway. Can you imagine Jesus saying that on Judgment Day? I bore your sins. I tasted your death. And you couldn't tell anybody, but it doesn't matter. Turn to 2 Timothy 1.8. It does matter, people. You know that. I know it matters to you. Apostle Paul says this to his protege, Timothy. I'll let you get there. He says, so never be ashamed to tell others. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, whatever that may be, when we go to the nursing home today, I'll be encouraging them to do this same thing. They might can't walk, can't talk, or whatever, but whatever strength God gives you, if you're still here, you still have a primary responsibility to share the gospel if it's just a twinkle in your eye, whatever strength you have. With what the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us, and he called us to live a holy life, he did this not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. 
And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death, and he illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. See, the message of Jesus Christ, it illuminates and it breaks through the hardness of people's hearts. And it shows them the way to immortality so they don't have to die in their sins and trespasses so that they too can experience the joy of knowing whenever I go, whenever my time is up, I know where I'm going to be. That's a peace that passes all understanding that keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 11, And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. And you have this good news. And the most we're usually ever asked to sacrifice here in America is maybe a little pride. Spreading the gospel is not just some missionary's job. So the mission fields wherever you are. The Bible says, he who winneth souls is wise. It's the greatest joy that I've ever had in my life, is knowing I'm making an uh, eternal impact in the world. See, we can't take any of this stuff with us. We can only, we can only take the souls that, that we've led to Jesus Christ with us. That's the only thing that'll be on the other side. And that's what, there's something down deep, like that song says, you give me joy down deep in my soul. And I'm telling you, you're not experiencing the fullness of joy until you've led somebody to Jesus and you see the burden taken off of them. You see the sin debt gone. You see them free. You see them like the young man Wednesday night that got saved. If you've never led anybody to the Lord, Just begin to open your mouth and say something. Say something. We all start somewhere. But that's another one of those fake walls that the devil puts up and says that you can't do it. But once you do it once, it's like you look back and you say, that devil ain't nothing. He's a liar. If he's telling you you can't do it, by nature you know that you can do it. And you're talking about joy. Lead somebody to the Lord. Invite them to church and see them get saved in a church service. Same thing. You don't have to be the ones saying the message, but you see the life change. They, and they become part of your family when you invite them to church, and they begin to get discipled here. Some of you have only been here a year or so, and you feel like just as much family as the people I've been here with for 20 years already. There's something transpires. I mean, it's deeper than blood. It's Jesus' blood. It's Jesus' spirit. When we come together as family in the kingdom of God, Passion Church in 2017 is going to be awful intentional about how we spend our time. So me and Angie, we thought we was getting out of that car lot. Easy. We were, we were feeling relieved because we didn't have to buy a car. <laughs> And we were driving, and we got to the main road, and we thought we was scot-free. And we looked out, and in the turning lane, turning in, in the exact car that Angie had expressed that she wanted was the guy rolling down the window and said, Wait! Wait! Here I am! That car salesman waving us down again. We're like, okay. And we backed up, and he pulled that car over right there next to the street, and we got out and looked at it, and Angie said, 
man, this is 10 times better than the one that we had seen at that other place. This is, I want this one. I want this one. And we bought that car. <laughs> he gave us a deal too good to be true. Amen. Why am I telling you this story? Because everybody's life one day will go kaput. Their time will run out. Everybody's life will go kaput, and they'll go to the same old used car dealership that they always turn to. The bars, the nightclubs, the drugs, the alcohol. They'll be just looking for some kind of relief. But one day, God will accidentally maybe steer them into your lot. Whether it's at your job, or maybe here at your church, or at your gym, or at your grocery store. God's going to steer them, those people that life are going kaput into your path. Will you flag them down? Will you have a smile on your face? Will you be intentional about being ready to share what you know that they need that they don't even know that they need? Will you tell them about the best deal ever? And will they trust you because they can just see the joy on your face? Passion Church has got to be a little like that used car salesman. That's something I never thought I would say. <laughs> but we've got to be eager to reach out. If you're not eager to reach out, stir yourselves up. Delve more into Jesus because he will put in your heart an eagerness to reach out. And we will be the place where people find the real Jesus. That's what they're looking for, the real Jesus. The compassionate, the loving, the one who tasted death, the one who bore our sins. Ephesians 5.15 again so says, Now be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Redeem the time. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.